Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Ghost Army Podcast. As promised, we are trying to bring this podcast back with more regularity. And up until this point, a lot of the reboot episodes, so to speak, uh, since we've started back up in 2020, have been me, my name is Brad, hi, and one other member of the Gap crew. We gained a bunch of new voices uh, in 2020. Of course, the original Ghost Army Podcast guys are in in the wings, uh, but scheduling has actually made things kind of hard, and it, it's hard to get more than one person in the room to, so to speak, uh, virtually to talk shop. But today we are going to break that trend, and we have two, yes, two more members of the Ghost Army crew joining me today to talk about tank wars. These gentlemen are no strangers to any podcast on this network. I think they've both been on all of them, except for maybe the Star Wars Legion podcast. We have the wonderfully analytical and uh, very sexy Lee Avery. How are you? Good, thanks, Brad. Great to be uh, on another podcast once again. It's been a little while. That's right. And uh, if, if, if we're talking about a guy I play all the time with a lot of game systems, of course, we are talking about an overall badass human being and an awesome guy to play. Of course, we're talking Dave Monroe. How are you doing, man? I am ace. The next best thing to gaming is talking about gaming, so it's good to be here. Amen, right? And one of the wonderful things that's happened recently is, and guys, if you're in other parts of the world, this is not us rubbing it in. 2020, Melbourne had some of the roughest lockdowns possibly worldwide, uh, in, in, in a lot of Western cultures anyway. We had what, 19 weeks of hard lockdown last year where we weren't allowed to be more than five kilometers from our house, where we could be out for like an hour or two a day for exercise, where there were curfews where you couldn't be out past 8 p.m. at night. Like, it, it was really intense. So we are out of lockdown at the moment. Uh, Melbourne has, I believe we're on 38 days of no new COVID cases here, and we are very lucky and blessed, and we're very excited about that. But one of the reasons why we're excited is we're able to play games again. And on the weekend, Lee ran a bolt-action Tank Wars event. Now, a year ago, Lee, you were going to run a Tank Wars event at a Melbourne convention, Conquest. And of course, then 2020 happened. It was, was it nice then to uh, sort of push it forward 12 months, rename it uh, appropriately, and then come at it a second time? Yeah, I mean, it was good to, I suppose, have a bit of structure around it. Uh, Conquest itself's been running since sometime in the 90s. Yeah. I've attended numerous Conquest conventions. Uh, they're always run over the Easter weekend mm -hmm. here in Melbourne. Um, I've attended quite a lot for 40K gaming originally. That's and, right. And uh, for some War Machine. I was also, I organised the 40K one year as TO. Um and then they generally it started off as a role playing convention, but sort of expanded out into a variety of games. Uh, so yeah, obviously last year we were actually in the uh, structure of signing people up for last year's event when the mm -hmm. lockdowns occurred, and we had to can the whole thing. Uh, so then this year, obviously a bit more open, we've been able to get it up and running. So it was uh, 
good to actually, I suppose, get people back together. And, and uh, there's a few of the old crowd from the Bolt Action scene, That's a few right. new people as well, which is really great. Oh, uh, so good. Picked up the game in the last 12 months and mm-hmm. uh, been playing sort of in the garages and that sort of thing. Uh, it was, we held it on Easter Sunday, unfortunately, which obviously for a lot of people is a, a family day. So there's quite a few of the regular players that we normally expected events that weren't able to attend due to family commitments. Uh, unfortunately, the Sunday was the only day I was available on the weekend. So, you know, Tio sets a date. It's a uh, see who can get along, no guarantees. But I think that's the same thing with a lot of events. Really, if you're yes. going to be a TO and organize things, you really just need to pick the date that suits you best or um, the majority of your players if you sort of go out there to your local community and just pick it and go. You can't get everybody together. I don't know if anyone's ever tried to organize a large group event, mm-hmm. but no one's ever going to, not never going to have everybody available at the same time. So exactly. you just get as many as you can for the time. So it was good. We had uh, 10 registered players, which is actually quite small for a Melbourne event mm-hmm. pre-COVID. We're usually we're looking sort of low 20s, high teens kind of thing. Uh, I think a combination of Easter weekend plus um, just people, I think, getting back into going out and socialising, that sort of thing. Yeah, I had yeah a- just easing our way back into it, hey? Hmm. Exactly. I think it was an it was a good baby step in. I mean, a couple of weeks ago, we sort of had a bolt action open day at the Hampton Game Club, and I was posting pictures of that through the Cast Eyes Facebook page. But there, um, a couple of the other members of the Gap and I, Jonathan in particular, and I were running some of his scenario ideas from the last episode of the Ghost Army podcast, and so we actually played out one of those missions, uh, and it was uh, which was. Circa 1930, I think 38, and it was Chinese versus Japanese right outside of Shanghai where the Japanese soldiers came in uh, on a train, unpacked, sort of unloaded all their gear and said, you know, started setting up a a post. Uh, And the Chinese soldiers came up and said, no, you need to go. This is not where you need to be. And it was right in that moment where hostilities were about to kick off really violently uh and uh the the japanese said nope you need to leave and the chinese said nope you need to leave and eventually it uh it kicked off into a full-blown firefight and john came up with this brilliant mission where you needed to sort of maneuver around the board try and hold the train station but at the same time you were the last uh you wanted to be the last guy to fire so the the first person who shot lost a victory point. So it was really interesting because you were trying to deploy your units so that they maybe don't have line of sight to the other side, so you don't have to test a morale check to see if your guys ignore you and shoot anyway, Um, which is great. Uh, And in the long run, the Chinese broke first and decided to shoot at the entrenched Japanese, and it it was a lot of fun. The Japanese couldn't have any vehicles or big guns because they had just gotten off a train. All of this is historical. The Chinese had larger guns, more more guys on the board. And uh, yeah, again, we're playtesting it for eventual publication, but it was awesome. So much fun. But we had what? seven? We had seven players for that event. And so to turn it around and then bump up to uh, 10 registered players plus the two TOs who ended up, did, 
did end up getting to play, which we'll talk about. So we had basically almost 12 players for the armored event. Means mm-hmm. that um, hopefully we'll be back to reasonable numbers soon. Uh, I'm sorry, Dave, were you saying something? I was going to say it's a real showcase of um, bolt action and its flexibility because the that Chinese scenario was really infantry heavy, wasn't it? And it then, was. And, early, and, and not just early war, but you know, pre-war and almost. Mm-hmm. And uh, and really, we, we had a lot of late war toys at the tank event, I think. We did. <laughs> Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. In the game that John and I played, there were literally no vehicles. Uh, it was all infantry. All uh, John had a few like light artillery pieces and mortars, which were deadly in that game, and really encouraged me to move around as the Japanese player, even though I was trying to defend a position behind barricades. And I think it probably wouldn't have been as fun a mission if I hadn't come out a bit. Um, but yeah, just maneuvering around, digging in, you know, moving into new cover and then moving around as I went, I think made for a really dynamic, interesting, fun game. So yeah, it was, it was, that was the best game to break my bolt action drought, I think is the right word, but, uh, uh, then to move on and then get a couple games at the tank wars was just awesome. And yeah, Lee, to, to be able to get 12 months on now for those who think that Conquest sounds familiar. We have talked about it several times on various podcasts over the years. If you go way back when, Conquest was actually the event that was the very first ever Melbourne bolt action event run by the LRDG crew. I believe it was Dave of War um, was the actual TO of that. And Brian Cook, way back when, flew down from Sydney and Dano flew over from Qatar and uh, from Dano from the old uh, bolt action radio days. And so it was, a, it was a wild event, but I think we had eight players. And so uh, it was sort of, I think it was fitting that uh, the, the big return to Melbourne bolt action was at Conquest. It's, a, uh, it's, it's, it's been an on and off part of the Melbourne scene. And uh, yeah, it definitely feels like we are back in it. Um, Lee, as TO, how did you feel? Well, tell us a little bit about the event. How many games was it? What was the point value? What was the overall feel? Uh, so I think probably the first thing I want to do, I, I know you touched on it earlier, but the name of the event changed. So yes, originally last year, it was going to be called uh, Easter Front. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a bit of a reference to the Eastern Front on the tank battles Love there. Um, obviously, with the delay, we changed the name this year to Delayed Action. Mm-hmm. Um, but I am reserving rights to use Easter Front for a future event, so <laughs> nobody else steal my thunder. <laughs> uh, so the format we went with this year was uh, three games, and we wanted to obviously go Tank Wars. The reason I chose it last year to do Tank Wars was effectively we had a lot of um, regular bolt action gaming throughout the year, mm-hmm. different events. Uh, Victoria, Melbourne usually had... I suppose we had probably four to five events, if you will, throughout the year, mm-hmm. every couple of months, uh, plus people playing sort of regularly on a monthly basis, different venues some clubs. Uh, so we wanted to do something a little different, hence the 10 calls. So uh, given the time we had for the single day event, three missions sort of works out well, one sort of two and a half hours each. Uh, we went with the first mission being the actual straight up tank wars objective grab out of the, the book, raw and unfiltered, um, which I think uh, most people hadn't played or read no. prior. No. Uh, 
<laughs> I had not, read it not quite since a while ago. It first came out. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's sort of showed. I think it probably, we printed off copies of the, the mission and everything for everybody, but it's actually quite long description. I think a condensed version would be more useful going forward. So if anyone's thinking of running a Tank Wars event, highly suggest that you uh, edit that mission down a little bit. Retype it. Or, mm-hmm. Yeah, or at least put out the information and the clarifications prior so players are aware and you're not spending your first half hour just fielding questions around setup and deployments, etc. It uh, is a sec- long mission too. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's like seven turns possible eight uh, because on yeah. the four up it goes to eighth. And, you know, it, it really is strange. You do need to read it, and it's spread over four pages of the Tank War books, which, if you include photos, is six pages, uh, which the, just makes it strange. Dave? But the content would fit onto a page. Oh, absolutely. In fact, I may have cut and pasted it onto an actual one-page mission in a previous Tank War event. I just couldn't find the actual file. Uh, and so as I was standing at the copy center, I just went, screw it. Here's four pages. Because the heart of it's objectives, but um, what the two differences are, you can be a bit further from the objective. Six inches. And you yeah. don't have to be on it to to own it at the end of the game. It's just the most recent unit to have been been there. So like plant your flag. Mm-hmm. And vehicles can take them, which is the big. Ah, uh, yeah. yeah. Which yeah. is the big part of that that we're going to talk about, I'm sure, in a minute, Lee. I'm sorry, you were saying mission number two? Uh, we decided to run a uh, VP objective grab, but troops only. So first mission was vehicles could capture objectives. Second one was troops only. That basically did force people to, I suppose, take some infantry mm-hmm. in a sense. Uh, the tank rule, tank wars, uh, platoon construction rules. Uh, any infantry units that you do take need to be have capacity for uh, transport capacity. So the way we structured that was um, people could... Uh, we, we made a few little variants, allowance, allowances, given people model collection and that sort of thing. So the rules state they've got to be either mounted or in a, a vehicle with capacity to carry troops or they need to be on motorbikes, for example. But we allowed uh, bicycles. Mm-hmm. So we had a couple of people using well bikes, which count as bicycles, uh, plus some Hitler youth. Um, as well so they were on bicycles uh, we also allowed tank riders to count mm-hmm. so uh, effectively a bit of a, a thing there but given a lot of theme particularly for the russian armies and would, uh, would, would you have allowed the um, hungarian assault list it's a tank list but you don't need transports for the troops is that because they ride on the assault guns, like tank No, guns? no, it's oh. just their special rule is they don't need trucks because they were basically defensive. So, oh, okay. So it kind of breaks the breaks the structure. Maybe, um, maybe. Yeah, I think it comes say... down to yeah, somebody asking, submitting a list, and deciding whether it was reasonable or not. But the, the basic rule I took was: is the list reasonable overall? If somebody was trying to game the system by putting a bucket load of guys onto bikes because it's cheaper than putting them in a truck, then it might have been like, well, hang on, you're running 60 guys on bicycles. That seems a bit rich, chucking in trucks. Um, so, yeah, no, nobody was sort of gaming the system. Mostly it was just around the theme of their army and the setting. So one of the forces was basically, you know, 30th Armoured Market Garden with some paratroopers on bicycles mm-hmm. on the wall bikes. Uh, that the other one really was really fun, that list, didn't it? Yeah, and the other one was uh, Defense of Berlin, 
So, you know, a Tiger two and a bunch of Hitler youth yeah. on some bicycles. So, you know, there's nothing there that screams, I'm trying to, you know, work the system. And then the Russian tank riders was, you know, a bunch of T-34s and uh, there wasn't anything sort of particularly hideous out of that no. list either. So, yeah, and, and I think tank riders are very themey for the idea of tank wars. So it was more around the general theme, what people wanted to do. Yeah. Um, did have a few questions during the day from people who played people that had sort of those sort of lists and sort of, oh, is that, was that allowed? And I'm like, yeah, 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 we've sort of went more on the theme and what fit exactly hard and fast on no you, you have to have trucks the big one that caught most quite a few people out actually was toes so people were mm -hmm. took guns or artillery pieces uh when you tow them the crew and all their accoutrements take up all the space in the vehicle so you actually really need dedicated toes mm -hmm. for those uh, people with counting items for crew, they can count, they can fit in the truck overall, but it's not how toes work. But that, that's the same as normal bolt action, though, so that really correct, shouldn't correct. be a surprise to anyone. That's right, right, but normally you do, you're not required to take a toe. In fact, a lot of people don't because you can, mm. for example, a medium AT gun, you can wheel on the board, or a medium howitzer yeah. even, you can wheel it on manually. But mm. when you start getting into the bigger guns, they need to be towed on. Now, some people play missions that you don't need to tow things on in the first place. But with some of the missions that we chose for this event, and I was helping Lee, I was... I was your thugly, is that right? So um, we talked about what missions, and we intentionally chose a mission um, that would force people to bring things on. So you, you did need to have some way of getting it on, even if the tank wars rules didn't require that. Now, Lee, you said something a second ago about if someone wanted to take 60 bikes, and I know that that was an exaggeration. For those of you listening at home, let's be clear about how the tank wars platoon, armored platoon works. If you take an armored platoon, um, you can take up to five armored vehicles, um, be them regular tanks or armored cars. And no, that's five vehicles. They don't have to be armored. Sorry, that's what I mean. Five vehicles. That's right. They could be soft skins. You can take five twin-linked MMG Reggie Jeeps. Right. But those count They count as a, an armored car they in the traditional list, right? No, they're soft skins. Right, but they fall under that category, is what I'm saying. Oh, yeah, under the normal Yeah, category. exactly. So you have, like, five vehicles, be, and you're right, they could be soft skins, that are your, sort of, the requirements. You have one command vehicle and two other ones, plus you can take some other vehicles. But then you can take up to three infantry squads. Now, armies like Soviets that have the free infantry squad can buy up to their three regular infantry squads, and then get their free one. So, you know, if you really want to get into the the weeds on whether or not you can get up to 60 troopers, maybe the Chinese list can because they have really big squads and their free squad's 14-man, and they can take bicycles from memory? Maybe not. No, I'm thinking Japanese. Anyway, you can take, take up platoon. to three infantry squads in an armored platoon plus whatever the free one is. Um, now, we'll get to Dave's list a little later, but he also had the option of four infantry squads, but didn't take. But that, of course, is one of the misconceptions for an armored platoon. But, of course, uh, if you take as an artillery piece or an anti-tank weapon, which falls under artillery, uh, of course, you do need a transport for that or a tow. Now, that could be your five-point 
horse toe or what is it seven point horse toe uh, and we did see an 88 getting pulled around by a mule uh, which did get hit with the main gun off an is2 at one point and there was a hilarious conversation of how does this actually happen since the 88 was currently on the mule's back uh, of course <laughs> bolt action is not necessarily the um, the most realistic rule sets at times, but there was a, a hilarious uh, cause and effect conversation that went down that ended up in uh, a a down 88 missing one crewman. Uh, strange, given that the uh, mule had been detonated with extreme prejudice. But, I think, yeah. I think the, the game system there is they're targeting the unit on the board. Effectively, a tow, exactly. whatever you're towing, doesn't exist. I think it was that confusion that... The, yeah. crew are effectively on board in a way um they, i mean it makes sense when you sort of sit back and sort of work it through yeah you know, they're not going to target an unmanned gun for shooting they're going to shoot the whatever's carrying it yeah it logically it makes sense but if you look at it from a realistic point of view it doesn't make a goddamn bit of sense but it was fun it was one of those funny situations. So, Lee, uh, continue. So, we had two objective-based missions. One that could be the first mission, of course, vehicles could take. Second one, uh, so anything that wasn't a vehicle be, or what can normally grab an objective. So, infantry, guns, uh, gun crews, that is, um, small teams, because they all count as infantry, they could grab objectives. Uh, but vehicles couldn't. They could contest, but they could not take. And yeah, then... I changed my list when I saw that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so what? How did you change your list, Dave? I I'd actually I'd I'd squeezed I'd taken just one truck. I only had one squad with um fa- uh, with um AT grenades, and um and I had an artillery observer and a Panzerschreck. So they all fitted into one truck. Um, uh, but when I saw you needed to kind of hold objectives, I thought one lone uh, uh, RD observer was perhaps not efficient mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, for that. So I so I swapped him for a, a squadron, but then they wouldn't fit in one truck, so I ended up having to buy another truck. <laughs> well, there you go. Uh, so, I encourage yeah. you to to expand your army. <laughs> you are not alone. I was also painting transports the day before but i'm sure we'll get to that later oh i just went to the depot i got plenty of trucks oh yeah we had um we have all all of our objective based missions but then we do like to have one in three missions when we run these events being victory point missions or kill points missions as i've called them in the past which i know is an old 40k term but some people are used to us referring to them as those. So for every unit you destroy and you take an order dice out of the bag, that is a victory point for you. But, but yeah, I think, but even that last mission, um, there was points if you could get into the deployment zone, yeah. your enemy deployment zone. So that that did, that um, condition stopped it from being a straight out shoot fest off the baseline. Exactly. Which would have been pretty dull. So that was that was a nice tweak. I thought, well, well played. Uh, it was. It's one of so both the second and third mission, crossfire and breakout, are both from the Bolt Action Alliance 2020 mission pack. Uh, one of them had appeared in a previous pack, but the both of them have been updated are and are in the the mission pack, and you can find them through our Bolt Action Alliance Facebook page if you go there. Um, or if you just Google search Bolt Action Alliance 2020 Mission Pack, you can find it, download it for yourself if you want to see the missions. Um, but yes, as Dave said, you can you get 
points for killing opponents' units and or getting your own units into your opponent's deployment zone, which is six inches from their table edge. So it did require a little bit of a slog to get over there, but not that much as I discovered when my opponent got his Tiger II into uh, my deployment zone. Lee, how did you feel about the mission selection for the event, you being the TL? I think it was good. I mean, just trying to put a bit of variety. The reason I mainly go for kill point style BP style missions as the last one is people's brains can be a bit fuzzy by the time sort of four o'clock rolls around in the day. Didn't want to have too many uh, questions myself having to deal with. Yeah. So easier to just let them work it out. Uh, but yeah, I, I think overall it's good to have a balance. You know, we could have run three, you know, vehicle based missions and people would have, you know, potentially written their lists appropriately. You know, there's no point taking inventory if they can't capture objectives or something or if it's not going to meet the mission requirements. Mm-hmm. I think most players uh, went for the mission. They weren't just sitting there just duking it out, if you will. Um, mm-hmm. People tend to spend the first couple of turns shooting each other and then sort of go, all right, what's the mission? What's going to get me a victory? I better start playing to that. Um, so, yeah, I, I think it was good. Most, most forces were reasonably mixed. I think between or balance between vehicles and troops. I think the nice thing you, you had the nice mix, but the scenario design, particularly at events, you're right about the brain space thing. I like it where you just have one kind of tweak. You can get away with kind of one change in deployment and one change during play. I reckon if you yeah. start adding too many special rules, uh, your your brain just yeah seizes up. Whereas so. That second game where, yeah, kill points, but you've got the deployment zone thing. Oh, cool, okay. And then that small tweak to the deployment zone, it was just a bit narrower at the start, only six inches. Mm-hmm. Those two things were a nice change. Crossfire, okay, um, we're a tank war event, but infantry guys can take objectives and tanks can't. You go, oh, okay, fine. So there was only one thing you needed to remember. Uh, I thought that was really quite uh, clever selection and good design. Thanks, man. Um now, Lee, you were talking about the balance and how most armies had the balance. Um, I found it funny that you were the only list then that had no <laughs> infantry in yours. Yeah, look, I whipped together a Gumby list a couple of nights before um, here at my house at the time. Yes, I was. Painting, uh, after a couple of beers. Um, look, the... I mean, mine was literally just... I just wanted to make something simple and easy because... If anyone's ever TO'd an event, you know, you get questions popping up throughout the the games. You know, it's not all in the first 15 minutes can go, you know, happen throughout the day. Uh, so I didn't want to have anything too complex on my own side. So if I needed to step away from the game, if I was gumbing or, or just having a casual one with some friends, you know, myself and Muddy and that sort of thing, uh, I wanted to be able to just sort of say, hang on, I'll be back in a sec. Also, the ability to, if I've only got a, a five dice, uh force <laughs> it's pretty quick to get games through so you know i'd be able to finish early be able to collect results mm-hmm. get things happening so we can get the next round started um, i i think that balance of points on the day allowed us to get the three games in but mm-hmm. i i think 1200 points that we had is probably just a little bit low for tank wars it'd be nice yeah. to have an extra 200, probably 1,500 is probably a, a good starting point for tank wars in general, I reckon. 
Yeah, I had a few Those players on the tools. day talking about, oh, I thought if it was 1,300, I could run this extra thing or this yeah. bigger thing. There was a lot of chatter around that. So I think if we did run a bigger oh. one, and given oh. how this one went... But but there was a number of players that were having trouble finishing games in mm, the time. Yeah. So I, I think I so I think it was a good decision for the day. But I think if you're just getting together with a mate to do some tank wars, yeah. I reckon um, you know allow yourself three or four hours and take those extra couple of hundred points. I reckon. Oh, it, for sure. If if I may, I think uh, I think you're right, Dave. I think. 1350 to 1500 would give you a really good tank war game if you're playing with a mate. Um, I, we what we were watching at the event, and I think the podium will show this. And I'm not trying to take anything away from the podium, but uh, there was a lot of players who rocked up, us included, who just have not been playing as much bolt action as we used to. And so there were, especially in the first game, there was a lot of questions of just really basic stuff of, wait, how does this work again? Wait, wh- how, what what happens when you do this? And a lot of looking up rules of how things worked. And I think it got better in the second game, and Lee was, yeah. I was playing in the third game, and so I, I didn't really see. But things appeared to be speeding up. If we were running in, in an event where we, there, we haven't just been coming off of a COVID drought, I believe that, we could have played with more points and had we played yeah, with more points, right. maybe not put a scenario that encouraged infantry in and just encourage people to bring the big guns and just run oh. a bunch of tanks. Right. Just get silly with yeah. it. I enjoyed having the men's on the table and, you know, and the, the, the I think, and they weren't entirely useless either, um, mm. partially because of the objectives, but mostly most people paid for the anti-tank grenades or took along some fouls or something anyway. Mm-hmm. So they weren't, entirely pointless yeah i did end up playing Although against i never those... fired a faust i didn't get close enough to anybody to actually fire a panzer faust on the day so no really? i i did end up playing against the uh hitler youth army with uh all the kids running around with panzer faust as a primary school teacher i found that very disconcerting <laughs> um but yes no i had all the panzer faust fired at me and thankfully, none of them hit and did anything. But it, it felt real bad to sit there going, I don't want to shoot children. This is real bad. That was bad. quite historic then. Yeah. Oh, it was. I had to rock back and forth a little bit after that game. That was that was not okay. Uh, Lee. That's uh, silly. Yeah, if you're attacking children, you should use flamethrowers, I think. Oh, Jesus. All right. Lee, what do you think about the point level and the overall uh, – rustiness of uh, some of the the players at the event? Uh, I think overall, most people were, as you said, you know, as the day went on, people got more into it and the cogs started turning a bit quicker and they sort of picked up where they left off. Yeah. yeah. I think points-wise, Dave's raised a, a good point around size and the ability to take a few more things. I wouldn't be opposed to running it at 13, 1,400 points, but I think at that stage... If I was running three games in a day for an event, for example, I would probably put a dice cap in place. Uh, two reasons. One, force people to take more vehicles and spend a bit more on vehicles, if you will, reduce the amount of troops, uh, and just to get that speed of game happening. Uh, I find the same in regular bolt action events, not tank, you know, not tank war ones, mm-hmm. but just general platoons. Playing some opponents which have 16, 17, 18 dice armies. You're lucky to get through three turns in two and a half. Yeah, hours. the 
Yeah, I, I think you're right. If you're going to be taking more than 12 dice, you've got to bring a certain commitment to um, keep that game moving, don't you, to, yeah. to not stand around and ponder too much. Yeah, and I find some people are better than others. Uh, the other problem is when you start getting into those you know, 17, 18 dice armies, they tend to be the cheap mass troop ones. There's a lot of dice to roll. There's a lot yeah. of figures to move. It all just compounds out. Yeah, and yeah. when you go to an event and, you know, a, a mission is six turns with potential seven and you're getting to the, the start of the fourth turn and the TO's coming around and saying, guys, you know, you've got 10 minutes. And it's just like, I physically, myself, my army has not been able to move very far on the board. I physically have not even got anywhere near objectives because two-thirds of the time has been my opponent setting up and moving and that sort of thing. So yeah, yeah I find people that take high dice armies need to really move fast. And I think yeah. it reflected a bit in the tank wars in that we had a lot of people that, um, you know, people are a bit rusty, uh, but then also, you know, they've got a lot of units and everyone's trying to, it's a bit of cat and mouse as well with the extra armour on the table. And I think, uh, the, and I think the other thing... I the, the largest number of dice I faced was 12, I think, so they were all pretty mm. lean. Yeah. And I think that's because of the vehicles, but I think you probably wouldn't want to go over that just given time. Yeah, yeah. Well, let's actually start talking about the event itself. Um, Dave, why don't you start by giving us a ballpark, maybe not to the like every SMG whatever level, but ballpark what was in your list and um, what were some of the, the games you played and what were some of the takeaways for you and your army? Sure. I, I, um, I was really happy to be able to bring a Hungarian Hetzer list, right? um, assault gun platoon. Um, it was... Uh, an accidental or an incidental project that happened over the lockdown. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I didn't didn't realise I actually owned all this stuff and in the cupboard, so that became a, a, enough for a platoon. So I had three Hetzes uh, and I took a Wind because why not? And that was the Axis support. Mm -hmm. And that was that was really the, the core of the army, the three Hetzes and, and the Wind. And I had a couple of units of, uh, of infantry in a truck and a Panzerschreck. Now, you it. know, I have to say Hetzer's going to Hats. I'm sorry. I, that just had to. Absolutely. It, it, it was remarkable how much love they got <laughs> on the day. People love Hetzer's. But I can understand why. They're, 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 they're sweet little models, but on the table, they work really well. I, I was a little bit worried uh, about the weak armor, the weak side armor, but really did not come to play at all. Uh, if anything, opponents almost wasted their time trying to manoeuvre around sometimes, which just gave me more opportunities to shoot at them. Now, and they're such little models, you could just run and be held down really easily. Yeah, that was what I was about to say. My previous expense, uh, sorry, experience with the Hetzers, and I love Hetzers, uh, is that um, people really do, as you say, try and get around them. But because they have such a low profile and they are so small... Uh, and their gun is really nicely, ideally placed at the top of said hull. Yeah. You can just belly up to all sorts of walls and, and obstacles, and, and the people just can't hit inch, you. You know, it got that heavy AT gun on it, so the seventy-two inch range. So you're really hardly ever firing at long range. It's just, um, it's great. And I found that when I paired them, that was mm. good. So I think. Um, Ideally, I think I'd almost not have taken the Werbelwind, but uh, taken a fourth Hetzer and had two pairs of them running around. I think that would have been great. And the 360 machine gun is just a sweet little bonus. 
Yeah, two things about that. One, uh, the that machine gun is it's like the the one on the Stug. It is not a pintle mount that a lot of people seem to forget. It is actually an enclosed vehicle with a 360 degree machine gun, which means you can fire it and not make your vehicle open topped, which is huge, especially in tank wars, right? Yep, yep. And and a little Easter egg from um, in that Budapest. Um, uh, book is uh, the Hetzers get Hitler's buzzsaw, so they're they're rolling with that extra dice as well. Oh man, that's good. That is so good. Um, but I mean, that's a bit of a hot take for you to say. Don't take a Wind, which is one of those meat chopper vehicles with four light oh, auto cannons that everyone yeah, loves. Yeah, that's why I put it. I thought, I thought, gee, I, I just kind of had a feeling with the Melbourne community that I'd be seeing kind of soft skins and armoured cars and things. So I thought, I'm going to, oh, I will take the Wind. Mm-hmm. And and you said on the day, and you're right, it's almost 40K, where you're rolling all those dice. Mm-hmm. So you know something's going to hit. So you did, it threw out a lot of damage. But, but I think, um, yeah, I, it's kind of, yeah, it wasn't wasted by any means. <laughs> I was happy with, with the list I had. It was, it was fine, really. Yeah, uh, I mean, yeah. I could I could see pairing up the Hetzers because I mean hit, those big AT guns are awesome, right? But yeah, yeah, um, yeah. but if you miss, and that's one of the feel bads about tank wars. I I ran Lee's list in one game, and I'll get to that later, where I had mm-hmm. five tanks, and you you're firing like one dice. Uh, in a yeah, lot of cases, it's nice to get that second dice ready yeah. to to roll it, and, and so I think um, I mean I. I lost twice and drew um, kind of closest games, although Django in the end uh, uh, sort of tabled me. And But I think it was my generalship, not the list, that was the problem, <laughs> I think. <laughs> I, I seem to remember your dice being a slight issue as well. But, you know, yes. Uh, it's it's nice to yeah. have someone not blame the dice for a change. Uh, yeah, no, I think the voice did all right. I, I, they, they, they were there. I, I think um, my, my takeaway... Um, actually, before I get on to that, I, I think the the games, um, I play good themes lists in a way. The first game was against Pedro and he had a Soviet list and, and mm-hmm. the tank riders and things. And that was that was good fun. Uh, and then I played Chris's uh, Marines, which was a little bit ahistorical, but that was a fun list. And he, he, he said he was feeling outgunned, but he took it right up to me and had some lovely moments with these trucks with 50 cals all blazing mm-hmm. from flying down the middle of the road, just Marines being Marines. So that was, that was good. And then Django and his IS-2. Mm-hmm. There was probably other things in the list, but that was... <laughs> it was Three the T-34s. Yeah. Guys. yeah. It's funny how many people I talked to were like, oh, yeah, you know, he's got an IS-2. What else is in his list? I have no idea. No, he had three other T... He had three T-34s. In the end, it actually didn't do a lot. It held a flank down, and and I completely failed to, you know, even get pins on it. But um, it didn't dish out a lot of damage either. It's yeah. only got a medium gun or something in it. So it's enormous, and it takes a lot of focus, but it's not quite as dangerous as the T-34s that he had. They were the ones that really did the damage. Yeah. At T-30, I mean, sorry, the IS-2's got a rep because it has all the machine guns on it and its weapon, uh, its main gun can be used as a medium howitzer. So particularly in version one of bolt action, it had a bit of a rep of being an awesome vehicle. And to a degree it is, but uh, it is also, you can't use it as the first dice 
in a particular yeah. turn because it's got slow load and yeah, it's yeah. expensive. But it's also durable, so yeah, a little bit. I, I've been wanting to try one for a while because one of my go-to Soviet vehicles, when I'm especially when I'm toing, uh, and I'm trying to eat up a lot of points, so I have a low yeah. order dice list is my IS three, which is you know the least efficient point vehicle in the game. It's seven hundred points regular for a tank that has a large or a heavy AT gun, not even a super heavy, and you're like, why? But yeah, it's great. The answer, in case you're wondering why it's so expensive, it has the heaviest armor in the game, but yep. it, it also looks ridiculous. Um, so what were some big takeaways? Because you played two Soviets and an American player. Um, yeah, I, I think um, the I'd forgotten that even in Tank Wars, the, the terrain still matters. Yeah. Uh, you know, so the, the last board we played on was a bit more open, and that was that was pretty brutal. <laughs> so uh, an authentically desert board would would be um quite short and sharp i suspect <laughs> yeah exactly uh yeah so so that that's that's kind of a takeaway still remember to have your, your things where you can hide a block line of sight and, and 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 get those look look to get those cover saves definitely um and the other one is you, you just even when you say to yourself at the start of the day i'm not going to be an idiot and make tank noises you find yourself when you're moving your tank out vroom, 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 <laughs> yes. you. you just you just find yourself making the noises and that's that's gold <laughs> it was great right and you weren't alone i mean yeah. people just listening to people play bolt action again was one of the best parts of the weekend for me yeah, was yeah. listening to people like Oh, I got a foobar. Oh, or yeah, yeah. Oh, I failed my order test. Or, you know, just literally, as you say, making little grumbling noises when their tank moves and then saying pew pew. It was just yeah. great. That was, yeah, um, yeah. as a guy who was TOing in round one or helping TO, I should say, <laughs> that was the best part of just walking around, answering some questions, watching people play games, and just watching bolt action happen yeah. was so yeah, good. Yeah. And, and and I think even even at the points level we had, it was good to see some of those bigger toys, you know, that there was yeah. the Ice 2, someone had a King Tiger. Um, I saw an Amtrak, which I don't know, I not, don't really see a lot of them on the table, uh, although, you know, they're, they're, they're kind of quite late war things. Mm -hmm. So it was, it was kind of fun to see those those other toys out and about and getting a run. That was, that was cool. Yeah, man. Yeah, I was... So I, I was co-TO slash Lee was main TO. I was more terrain guy slash helper slash question answerer. Kind of that was my role. Um, but we both made Gumby armies just in case. And we both got to play uh, a little bit. I, I actually played two out of the three rounds. One with my army and one with Lee's. My army, uh, I was going to take a whole lot of things. And I went through this weird process of going through my uh, the glass case uh, that has all my armies in it and realizing that I'd sold almost all my tank war uh, compatible armies without realizing it and realized that oh crap I don't I'm missing some transports uh, and so I was feverishly painting transports the day before only to realize I wasn't going to make it and thankfully Dave you loaned me uh, a half track that because yeah I, I didn't have one um, but now I do. But I took an American list in the end. Um, I battled the Bulge Americans. I had a regular priest, a regular Hellcat, a regular 
uh, command Sherman without catching fire. Uh, I got rid of that rule. Um, I had a truck, or sorry, not a truck. Um, I ended up taking the half track that had a vet squad with a couple, uh, or a vet squad with Tough Fighter. Um, I also had a regular squad with a couple bars. There was a flamethrower team, a bazooka team, um, a Dodge Beep, and uh, there was like a Jeep and some other random stuff, which in retrospect, you know, I was just pulling stuff out of my case. Actually, yeah, I wasn't. Yeah. I was just, I looked at what vehicles I had and said, this is what I'm going to take. And then when Lee was making his list, I went, oh, can you throw what I have in there? And then we'll throw a few things. And it ended up being way more aggressive than I thought. Um, <laughs> I, st- I sat it down on the table and started playing and went, oh, I put zero thought into this. This is actually Heath Baird. Ready to go. Um, But thankfully, I only played Lee, so sorry, Lee, with it. Uh, Our friend Muddy played with it in the last game, but I don't think he won with it. But it was the fact that it had a lot of big guns. He did note it was throwing out a lot lot of firepower. Yeah, it kicked out a lot of firepower. And the fact that it had, you know, some veteran infantry and had some infantry to take some objectives uh, and the mobility to go get people really made that list pretty good. Um, I didn't end up jumping the infantry out other than to jump down on objectives. So they never shot or did anything. Um, The bazooka fired once. I guess the flamethrower fired once as well, but didn't didn't do its job. But it's still, it, yeah, it was I, a really aggressive list. Yeah, I'm not sure. I, I guess um, the durability of veterans kind of makes a bit of sense if you know you've got to hold those objectives. But I'm not sure in the format they're worth the worth taking, unless it's your theme. Yeah, um, to say that you've got paratroopers or something. I think um, when we get to Tim's list, uh, I think his veteran paratroopers with Stubborn, uh, I think that really helped with that second objective because they really just don't go away. Um, and Lee can talk about uh, British paratroopers till the cows come home, I'm sure. But yeah, I, I don't think it made a big difference in the games that I was playing. I really just wish I could have taken uh, my Battle of the Bulge. Germans with the Sturm Tiger, which is what I should have done, but I just yeah. didn't have the transports, but I have a SDKFZ7 on my painting table right now and a multi-air that, I, that Patch painted for me. So after uh, tomorrow, I will have... No, no mule teams? No mule teams. No, no. Um, my big takeaways, uh, God, I love bolt action. It was a lot of fun to move yeah. things around. The, ter- I mean, your comment about terrain. Uh, and, the, and the tables look good, I thought. I mean, the, there was, what, six tables on the day mm-hmm. that you had set up, and um, I, I played on three of them. And that, they were fun boards. They each had their own challenges, and they looked really schmick. You know, the, Thanks, um, all the gaming mats and things that you've got, yeah. So I provided all the terrain on the day. I've been slowly accumulating terrain over the last couple of years. And by a couple of years, I mean over the last five or six years. Um, But over COVID, um, I was able to get a bunch of gaming mats to up, sort of up the level of the quality of the the gaming. I mean, it just looks better with a good game mat, right? And I got a bunch of really nice geek villain mats. um, And I already had a deep cut mat and a cigar box mat. And so... 
on the day, just having all those out on the table. It just looked amazing. Plus, I got a ton of Battlefield in a Box terrain, uh, pre-painted stuff from Gale Force 9. Uh, I was able to get it from War and Peace Games when they were stocking it, and so I got a ruined village board worth of terrain, plus some big buildings that tied in with some some old Battlefield in a Box terrain I already had. And so I was able to get an almost Stalingrad-esque table and then like a bombed out French village table. Now, I know from the photos, we had a few people sent comments, one being, I think it was Pat from Snafu asking, is that enough, you know, is that the level of terrain? As in, is there not more? Why isn't there more line blocking? Um, We had a lot of line blocking terrain on the day. Um, a lot of those boards had a ton of hard cover. Anything, and I'm sure Lee will, can pipe in on this, I probably need to go to add some more um, tree stands or shrubs or just some soft cover um, on some of the boards just to mix it up a bit. Lee, uh, from a TO standpoint, you were walking around and looking at everyone's games. What did you think about the terrain? I think overall it was good. I think uh, you're right. Some of the tables do need some soft cover. A lot of them are very hardcover-based, ruins, buildings, that sort of thing. Um, The desert uh, crossroads table, we'll call it, uh, had quite a bit of very high line-of-sight blocking terrain through the middle. You and I both discussed on the drive home. Mm -hmm. We need to trim that down a factor. Uh, It just just meant, I think... Was that the one with Mount Morin on it? Yep. Yeah, yeah. The Twin Peaks. Um, I think... The issue there is people spend the first couple of turns just moving. There's no actual dice rolling. And then you get engagement and it's very much a, I pop over the hill and shoot you first. You know, what happens kind of scenario. Yeah. So I think cutting the hills, you know, reducing their height significantly. So potentially troops get obscured, but not vehicles or at least providing a cover bonus of some factor to everybody. Um, but you need to really, people need to be able to shoot each other at some point without getting into these weird spots. And I think the way that the centre of the table was really the only open field of fire, if somebody got to a position first and set up as ambush, they're going to get to shoot, you know, first in, in most instances and, and get the fire shots off. So there's very much a, an early bird's going to control the board quite easily kind of set up. Uh, but otherwise, I think the rest of them were pretty good. Um, I think, you know, our next event, we get a bit more people along. I've been working on two tables myself. Mm-hmm. I've got one that's a, uh, I've been building for the sort of bolt action Korea theme, but, you know, it's generic sort of Asian buildings and sort of forests and that sort of thing. And then my other one I've been working on is a uh, North Africa themed with the, uh, buildings and compounds but you know due to colonialism there's also a cricket field and a flop house nice so you know it's i think a a mix but i know myself that building um the north african style one it needs a bit more soft cover and some smaller bits of hard cover low sort of profile things so i need to put in like a well and I need to put in some piles of crates and those mm-hmm. sort of things just to provide a bit more variety rather than just here's a bunch of hard stone walls, a bunch of buildings. You know, it's got to have a bit of a mix of t- terrain type in a way. Yeah. Otherwise, it can really 
overly disadvantage or advantage a particular side in any matchup. And nobody really wants to get to a table, you know, look at their opponent's list, look at their list and go, wow, this table is just really going to cause me a hell of a lot of problems because of the way it's the type of terrain, the way it's structured. Um, And I think we tried our best to try and balance out the layout of terrain so no side is particularly advantaged. No, exactly. Um, But the way we generally look at that is from a long table edge to long table edge view. And some missions, uh, you know, you might be deploying in quarters or you might be deploying on an angle across the table. So Mm -hmm, those sort of things, correct. So those sort of things change the dynamics, particularly when you start talking about roads. I mean, you and I played for the Crossroads mission and you had the uh, a clear road on your side of deployment that allowed you to actually hammer a, a truck up or jeep up 24 inches quite mm-hmm. happily on the road. Um, so it gave, it gave you that advantage of being able to actually put things right into the middle of the table quite easily, uh, whereas my side, I didn't have those roads. I didn't have that sort of advantage. So... Mm-hmm. To be fair, your it was a symmetrical board. The, your road is on it, the other side, and uh, you, you put me in that corner. So because you rolled yeah. off the mission, so yeah, I, I think you gave me the road, so board. I took it. Yeah, I think there was also we hadn't probably properly discussed it. There was craters on the roads, bombed out yeah. roads, and I was treating those as rough terrain. Yeah, you know, so I think there's probably a bit of um, yeah. you know, you got to have a thinking, and I think that's exactly. The point. Talking to your opponents about the terrain mm-hmm. on the table, yep. what each one is. Don't get to turn four and suddenly be like, oh, I assumed that was a hard cover yeah. you know, piece. And your opponent goes, oh, I assumed there was no cover there because it's small or, you know, it's made of tinfoil or whatever. So it's important to sort of establish those things at the front, particularly when it's sort of, you know, it's very much a game of manoeuvring, counting your opponent's movement, trying to preserve your own troops and, um, you know, achieve objectives that vary from yeah. game to game well i have uh i took notes after the weekend and i have a friend printing me some uh some resin scattered terrain right as we speak and i have a few other bits and pieces that i picked up from uh the local hobby shop from mind games in the city they have a lot of the whiz kids like D terrain for the background so i got a statue for the middle of uh, the town square, and I've got a few other bits and pieces that are coming, and I'm going to pick up one more building for the big uh, city board, and then I'm going to make some rubble piles, and uh, I've I've figured out a way to get more trees and shrubs, so I'm I'm adding scatter as we go. So by the time we run the next event, I think uh, everything will be fully fleshed out. Um, it was nice to see all those tables set up. Because though I'd planned them out on paper, you know, roughly how much was on the table, I hadn't actually laid out some of them. Like that big city board, we'd sort of tested it out and put some some buildings down when we were at Hampton, but um, it hadn't been laid out maybe with the roads intact. And so everything wasn't quite set. But yeah, it was it was really nice to see everything. But now that I've seen it all and we've seen people play on it, and we've got that feedback. I think, as you said, we had a good selection of boards. The The winter boards had had line-blocking terrain, but were also had open lines of fire. One of the desert boards had a city in the middle, the one that you and I played on that you're talking about, Lee, with the roads. But I think that 
is overall, if we reconfigured the roads, I think that's probably a solid table. And I think that the bombed out village, the new one, everyone who played on that table said they loved it. So yeah, I really enjoyed that yeah. one. So I'm really excited. You, your your goal after the next um, tournament will be to start getting emails that says why so much terrain on the table, <laughs> right? Ooh, but you know, better than that that than not, right? Um, Absolutely. Yeah, I could bring my uh, 72 trees with bases and, and see if people are happy to play in the forest. Well, I got a jungle mat, Lee. I got a jungle mat, so you bring your trees, I'll bring my mat, and we'll get a few little uh, kidneys to put the trees on to set out area terrain, and boom, we got a forest. Probably need to do the uh, Vietnam War supplement for that one. Mm-hmm, and that would be good. Or we could just, you know, play Japanese and um, Australians in the in the jungle. That'd be good. Yeah, yeah Burma or a few options. <sighs> All right. That's that's ideas for another episode. Um, all right, Lee, what were some of your takeaways for the event? I think overall, uh, I mean, it ran from my point of view as a TO. I mean, the advantage of running it through Conquest uh, is that they organize the venue and the registrations and all those sort of things. And the trophies. Uh, all, and the trophies as well, which was good. Uh, all I need to do is effectively come up with what sort of rules and structure and missions and and then promote promote the thing and get people along to make it uh, sort of a, a worthy day for people to turn up to um so from an admin point of view that was good uh given that we only had 10 players effectively i just ran it all pen and paper so i made up a basic score sheet for everybody that they completed each round and handed it in and i just had a separate bit of paper where i just sort of kept some scratch notes and paired people up and kept track of which tables they'd played on. So throughout the day, nobody obviously played the same person twice. Nobody um, played on the same table twice, for example. Mm -hmm. They managed to keep it quite separate. Um, so, yeah, I, I think it was good. I think everyone had a good time. Nobody sort of gave me any negative feedback. Um, I know people generally are happy to do so where they feel yes. necessary. <laughs> um yeah, I mean, and look, sometimes you get uh, somebody will drop you an email or a message online afterwards, but I haven't had any of that, so that's a good thing. Um, I think, you know, I mean, vast majority of players I've known for probably a decade or more, most of them were all old hands in the, the local gaming scene in various mm -hmm. systems. Uh, a couple of new guys, which was really good. Um, they're pretty keen, uh, really good hobbyists as well, which was good. Um, definitely passionate about the game, so... I think it was good. Uh, painting quality was really good. Everyone sort of had themed armies. Nobody was sort of running mismatched hodgepodge stuff. I think that's just a reflection on uh, bolt action in general. It's not a expensive game system, if you will, from a model's perspective. Yeah. There's plenty of manufacturers. It's manufacturer agnostic in that sense. Um, so people tend to accumulate different things. I know I've done it. I'm like, here's my 1,000-point list. I'm going to make this make this list and that's it. And then you look at it a couple of months later and you're like, oh, wow, I've got stuff that doesn't actually fit in the army case anymore because I bought all these extra things. Um, mm -hmm. So, you know, it just gives variety. So most people, I didn't have anybody asking about borrowing stuff or um, you know, needing extra vehicles or anything. Everyone seemed to supply within their own collections, which was good. Uh, 
Um, so yeah, I think overall it was good. We had a uh, two people that had three wins each on the day, so the split actually came down to VPs. Um, they didn't play each other in the last round because going to the last round, I had three people on two wins each. Um, so there had to be somebody who played down and they won their game as well. So we went on a count back for objectives. And then the best painted, uh, we actually had one person get five votes, another person get four votes uh, under my policy of uh, nobody getting two awards. The painting uh, award went to the person who got the four votes. Um, and then we had a two other awards. One was given it tank wars, most vehicles destroyed. So we had players keep track of how many vehicles they destroyed each game. If you, for example, uh, called in a bombardment, artillery bombardment and blew up your own vehicle, that would count towards the opponent's score, for example. So it was uh, interesting there how people sort of play. Uh, we had, I think, the person who got that award had destroyed 15 vehicles on the day over three <gasps> games. Oh, wow. Yeah, and then I think the next person down was 13. So it was quite close at the top, and then it dropped down to like seven and eight and that sort of thing. We had a few people around those sort of numbers. But it, it, I think over a three-game event, given it's vehicle-heavy, you come up against somebody who's got two trucks and a Jeep and you go ping, 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 you're going to pick up three pretty quick. Uh, but 15 still, that's on average five a game. That's pretty much, uh, you're probably taking out two or three of their tanks plus, you know, their two of their soft skins that are likely to have because of the transport requirements. It just means that people had some easy to kill VPs on the board. Uh, the other award we did given obviously infantry or component, we had, uh, the most infantry models killed, not units, but actual models. So if you, you know, managed to shoot a you know, guy who was part of a, an artillery or a mortar crew or something, that would count as well. So any infantry figure counted. And I think we had 36 off the top of my head was the winning number there. There was quite a few people around the high 20s, low 30s over the course of the day. And when you think about it, we had a few Russian players. You know, there's 12 inexperienced Russian riflemen turning up every game there. So some opponents were able to capitalise it on a bit more than others, which is what we expected. Um, but again, the uh, the winners of those two awards were actually um, separate to those who sort of placed at the top, which was good. But effectively, I think the people who, the overall placings, those who came first, second, third and fourth, all received trophies of one sort or another. Let's let's talk a little bit about who some of those guys are because we, as we said, we did have a lot of old hands show up for this event, um, and it was nice to see people show up and say hi too. We did have a lot of folks who didn't have time to play who then swung by, and we were able to strong arm our buddy Muddy on as well. Um, he didn't bring an army, so he borrowed mine, and I borrowed yours for a game, which was cool. Um, mm -hmm. But we did have three brand new people. Uh, who would, we'd never seen at an event before. Now, they had played the week before at uh, House of War, a Melbourne event, um, where they had sort of a bolt-action uh, show-up-and-play. They posted online, and they had some folks show up there. Um, but they were new to us. Now, they've been listening to the bolt-action podcast, so they, they were uh, well familiar with some of us. Um, but it was great to, to meet them. And, you know, because they have been playing weekly, 
if not more often, uh, by talking to Tim. Those guys, they they were uh, ready to go, uh, and they really, uh, you know, brought it. And so, of those four, sorry, three guys, uh, they took th- uh, what first, second, and fourth. I was really impressed with them as players. They clearly knew what they were doing. Uh, one of them got best painted. Can you talk a little bit about what was in the new guy's army? I mean, we had Albert, we had Tim. What, what else? What talk? Talk to us about who these guys are and what they brought. And I'm just really excited. I think we're going to have to have some of those guys on a show soon just to talk about uh, what it's like to get into bolt action. But they clearly know what they're talking about, even though this was their first ever event. Yeah. So uh, Tim came first. Albert came second. Uh, he had the most uh, vehicle kills, and then uh, Michael was the other newcomer. He That's right. got the most. He got uh, best painted. Yes, Michael's um, Germans were gorgeous too. Yeah, like yeah. war and the camo job. That was they. They looked really coherent, and it was a tidy job as well. And he also had all the guys in the backs of the trucks, and they yeah, were yeah, removable. Yeah. So when he had guys in his trucks, he had Warlord make some. There's strips of guys sitting and of course the guys have camouflage and so he had just strips of guys sitting in the back of his trucks and when they weren't he just pulled them out and yeah it it was visually it was very striking it looked great yeah so tim's list was uh probably a little bit dear to my heart he ran a combination of three uh cromwells for his, for his main armor mm-hmm. and then he ran a bunch of uh british airborne paratroopers on the well bikes. So he had uh, two units of six from memory there. Mm-hmm. Plus he had a, another smaller unit that I think were mounted in a truck uh, to make up points. Uh, actually had a bit of a discussion with him during the day around uh, constructing the well bikes because anybody who's actually gone through the torturous process that it is uh, understands the frustrations. Uh, so he's actually done 20 of them which is uh, close to my 24, mm-hmm. not quite. So maybe he'll do an extra an extra unit. We'll see. Uh, so and, was... and like you, he also had the um, troopers to swap out when they'd hopped off their bikes. That's right. Correct. I was yeah. going to say he matched them up. He also, like you, ran the obligatory uh, machine gun Jeep, airborne machine gun Jeep with the force as well. Um, I walked by that table and, oh, so many memories of facing Lee's. Oh. And... Oh, he Just actually... look at the photo. I see his objective uh, markers were um, downed, were um, supply cases to yeah, the parachutes. So good. Yeah, he actually ran the um, SAS Jeep, not the British Airborne. Oh, one. that's right. So You're right. It had the uh, two HMGs and the uh, LMGs or MMGs off the back, so mm-hmm. puts out a lot more firepower. But uh, I would personally, if I was playing against it, I'd make that actual. Uh, model of priority just because of sheer firepower it can dish out mm-hmm. and this the size of it as well makes it quite easy to sort of scoot around an edge and hide behind terrain till you're ready to unleash it um so yeah that was a an interesting list uh michael was running the germans uh very well painted uh, you know the the usual wavy green and brown stripes mm-hmm. guard base uh, they looked really good uh, Quite a few uh, sort of characterful models in there as well. What uh, were the assault guns? Are they wisps? So no, they look like. So they're based on. They do look like wisps. Um, they are using the Lorraine Schlepper 
bodies. So the French bodies that with the big gun Uh, casements added on the back, but they were AT guns. And I am struggling to remember what he ran them as. Um, Were they, I I actually can't remember, Um, but they were AT gun assault gun. They they look so good on the tabletop, big open top guns on little tiny tracked vehicles. Always good. Um, But he had a Panzer IV and a Panzer III. Three, I believe. Yeah. Um, and then yeah, Kuba Wagon with the flamethrower team with the flame shooting out. So it looked visually awesome. And as I said, those two trucks with the guys in the back that he removed um, that matched up with actual infantry that he put on the board. It just, yeah, it was a stunning army and uh, lots of tools to get the job done in there. It was very cool. Uh, I just looked up Michael's list that he submitted. Uh, those Lorange Fleppers were being run as Marta Ones within the list. And he also had a Kubelwagen. Oh, yeah, with the flamethrower in it. Yeah. Nice. Cool. Very cool. Yeah, nothing like seeing a good Kubelwagen, right? Um, it's not enough of those. I just believe my Hungarians don't get a Kubelwagen. You can always take it as your uh, German sure vehicle, right, Dave? <laughs> yeah, and give up my Werbelwind. Yeah, mm-hmm. right. <laughs> you could. How bad do you want that Kuba wagon? Yeah, right. Yeah, not that badly. <laughs> now, we did talk about Django before. Now, Django's been in Melbourne forever. Um, he's he's uh, He comes and goes from bolt-action events, but I've known him from wargaming events for a long time. Uh, and he came third with, uh, as we mentioned, the IS-2, Three T-34s, he had his free squad in a truck, and then he had a veteran squad in a truck as well uh, with seven dudes. Uh, And so that was cool. Uh, That was, you know, a very solid Soviet list. Um, We did mention Albert. Now, Albert uh, came second, and he's uh, one of the newer guys. Um, Now, Albert has an LVT and a universal carrier, and they're carrying around a couple of squads, but he's also got two Shermans, two Staghounds, uh, and a Humber armored car, um, which, yeah, again, visually stunning. I think he actually 3D printed some of those vehicles, if not all of them. Uh, are Staghounds actually enormous, or is that the print that he chose? They're big. His his vehicles were a slightly larger scale than usual bolt action, but they are large. Yeah, um, because they're heavy. Because they're heavy AT guns. So they're um, armored cars with heavy AT guns, and so that list um, has a lot of kick to it, and it's super mobile. So um, I know that it was hard to deal with. Um, some people just didn't have the ability to deal with that and his ability to zip around and put the hurt where it counted. Um, but yeah, very solid list. You can see why with that, um, with all those AT guns and mobility, why he uh, had the highest vehicle kills on the day. Um, now I know that a lot of people will be wondering, um, JL from the Bacon Burgers was playing. Um, he had a very cool list. Um, he had the SDKFZ-7 with the four autocannons on the back. Um, so like your Warblewind, Dave, except the uh, the truck version, the armored truck version. We did mention that he had an 88 being towed around by a mule. Yeehaw. Um, he had a Panzer three, a Panzer IV, um, a Horch with uh, some, some dudes in it. 
Uh, he also had a stummel with a, an engineer squad in it with the flamethrower. Uh, as he said, it wasn't sneaky cheese. It was breaking the teeth cheese, but he had a great time playing with it, and no one had a problem facing that army. Um, we have mentioned um, Pedro was also running lots of Soviet tanks. Ange, of course, was running the um, Hitler Youth, uh, King Tiger, uh, Fall of Berlin list, which also had the, and now I'm blanking on the name, but the very small armored vehicle with the open top that basically fires Panzerfaust at 24 inches. That was a rude surprise when it Got my firefly in the ass. And then he also had a puma. Um, we talked about Dave's list. Chris Peck, of course, had his marines that Dave talked about with an AT gun, um, some trucks. But he also had a bunch of Stuarts. Uh, and that is largely the field. Um, there was just a lot of fun army lists in there. I guess a big takeaway for me for the event was, again, and I know I've said it, and I'm not trying to rub it in, but... It was just so good to play bolt action again. And I am really jazzed. And I, I spent all day today working on Italian infantry for my next army. And I'm really looking forward to playing some more bolt action in the future. And uh, as these guys who I'm talking to today will attest, I've been pinging the messages all day about possible army lists, possible upcoming events, possible uh, ideas for different events, and I'm, I'm, I'm just really jazzed up about bolt action uh, and gaming in general, which is something I haven't been for a while, uh, and I'm, I'm just really excited about that. But guys, that I think that's us probably talking enough about the event. Let's talk a little bit about tank wars in general. Now, I've been talking with a few folks on offline and online about this topic uh, in preparation for this episode, uh, and I have a lot of thoughts. Now, Lee, you and I are a little bit uh, oppositional on this one. After playing in the event, I think the very first thing I wanted to try out was I actually got a weird bee in my bonnet and woke up the next morning saying, you know it would be cool if I took my Chinese? And I had the free 14-man squad, and I ran five regular T20. I don't want to say T28s because those are the obvious. Those are the giant ones with all the machine guns on it. Just the, I'm blanking on which T it is, but it's the light tank with the uh, light AT gun and a coax MMG, like the least exciting thing ever. But I want to take five of those, a heavy so howitzer. T26? Yeah, T26. Thank you. I knew the T28 was jumping in my head. Thank you, Dave. Um, I was thinking, take one of those with a heavy howitzer, which is what the Chinese basically used for their AT gun uh, in the Battle of Shanghai with a proper tow, because I have the tractor. Uh, and, um, you know, three squads plus the 14-man squad in German trucks, the big ones that hold 14 men, and just be a jerk. And it just, like, I can't imagine it's going to be terribly effective because it's a bunch of light AT guns and one big fixed-mount howitzer. But that, that's, that just sounded so fun to me. Now, Dave, you were saying that walking out of the event has your opinion changed? Because you were saying that you didn't think that light AT was enough for a tank war game. I, yeah, I, I think you'd have hard pressed. I reckon you, you might have, you'd have enough body. If you had that at delayed action, 
you've probably had enough bodies to win crossfire yeah. and, and also enough and those machine guns to take at everyone else's infantry. But I reckon you, you would have just got creamed in the other two. You, yeah. Yeah. You, you wouldn't have been able to dash it out enough to, to make a difference, I don't think. Lee, you were, you're of a similar mind to that, right? Yeah. I mean, Chris Peck, which we spoke about uh, at the start of the mm-hmm. the podcast, um, he ran his US Marines stewards list. And uh, it, it, partway through the day, he came up to me, he said, I've bought a knife to a gunfight, haven't I? And I'm like, yes. Yeah, I... He he just didn't have the punch. He didn't have the armor to take the hits. And he was feeling it. And I think yeah. Um, yeah, if you're going to uh, run a tank wars of him. Yeah. He, he lost his um, stewards early in pretty much every game i think um although in the game against me it was wonderful he played the trucks with the um with the mmg with the 50 cals poking out the top so wonderfully aggressive it was it was ace in fact one of them sped around and came up behind one of the hetzers and took it out i think (laughs) (laughs) nice with the the weak rear armor so that was um, really hilarious it was like something out of a movie so uh, i think uh, perhaps twisting this around how how would you go about winning with that list i think you'd need to be super aggressive and really get up in someone's grill yeah um assault the tanks take out their lighter vehicles and just um yeah and just I, I think, yeah, it's probably how you'd have to do it. The, uh, the issue is, for me, with the light AT is just the maths. If you're running, say, four light AT guns, if you are shooting at long range, no other factors, you're at four plus to hit. So if you've got four tanks shooting, two tanks hit, you're at a four plus or plus four on your armour pen. If you're shooting at a armour rate vehicle, so a track, uh, not even a track, just an eight rad or, or you know a humber or something like that. You're needing to roll a four or more to get a roll on the damage table. So on average, I mean one of those hits is actually going to get a roll on the damage table. So you're firing four vehicles at one to have the chance of rolling on a damage table on a fifty percent chance you're going to cause a destruction. It's just mathematically they just don't have the punch needed and the range as well. The second you're going over, you know, half range, you're at minus one on your penetration as well. So it's they just get worse. And the, and the range is significant, right? Because a light AT gun's got a range of 48, so that means mm. long range is over 24 inches. Yeah. So you got to get closer. Meanwhile, if you jump up to medium AT, all of a sudden that that half range that half range is 30. So yeah. I mean, just that six inches, um, just from having played on the weekend made a big difference. Um, just the number of times I was firing heavy machine guns, which, you know, are ranged 36, but any time that it was like, ah, oh, over 18, oh, it's within 24 or within 30 inches, it was like, oh, I really wish that this was a little bit further. That medium AT, just that six inches plus that additional plus one, especially if you're able to get into the sides, um, will really really put the hurt well drastically improves your chances i guess is what i'm saying i guess part of me was thinking like the t26 is a tiny tank and you can easily hide it uh if that you're playing on table that has reasonable amount of terrain versus i mean i played against Angus king tiger and there was no hiding that however you know i had hellcat my list uh and there's lots of armies that have similar vehicles um 
My Hellcat, the fact that it was open-topped was irrelevant, largely. Even though Lee was firing every, like machine guns at it to put pins on it, but I was able to walk those pins off. Mm. Largely because it was behind a wall, and it's relatively low-slung for what it is, open-topped with a big gun made a big difference. I know that everyone's going to tell me I'm wrong when I say this, uh, but I don't think open-topped is that big a deal in Tank Wars if you are playing with... Maybe, you know, not super tall vehicles. And there's terrain. I feel like if you are able to manipulate the terrain to your advantage, open-topped might be a way to eke out a couple more points, depending on your theme. Um, I think terrain just really does matter. I know I went to Dave first last time. Lee, what do you think? Uh, I think if you've got the big guns, if you've got the heavy AT, the super heavy AT, open-topped becomes irrelevant. Yeah, it's plus one, but... Meh. I think the bigger thing on it is if you're open topped, the troops on the board or those, you know, secondary machine guns are going to start putting pins on you. Yeah. Which basically shuts you down. So if you've got an open topped Wolverine or um, M10 or whatever, you know, somebody can shoot a rifle squad at you, cause a pin. They then shoot their Sherman, they put the main gun at something else, they put the hull mounted MMG. They're just going to hit you up. They cause mm-hmm. a pin, right? So you're very susceptible to copying pins. And then it's like, oh, hang on, now I've got three pins. I better rally. And I think the, the game between you and I, <laughs> um, you know, was a good example of the effect pins can have mm-hmm. in that in one turn between us, we had, I think, four units run away with had one or two pins on the each. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Fail command checks. It was we four had... vehicles that backed up because they all had yeah. one pin on them. One of the three, sorry, one of the four had two pins. Three of the vehicles yeah. had one pin and we all failed our tests and backed up. But in that game, our dice were also super crap because did we roll five bars in that game? Uh, I rolled two in one turn. Yeah. And then I rolled... only had three tanks on the field. <laughs> It was awesome. That's gold. It was I, bad. <laughs> I I didn't find the open top of the Werbel wind came into play at all. And and your comment to the infantry, I think if it was uh yeah, if it was one of those um anti tank weapon maybe, but with the Werbel wind they just there wasn't enough inter- infantry coming close to put pins down on them. <laughs> yeah, right. Because just throwing out all those hits that they do. I mean, there is a point, once the uh, Hellcat took a couple pins, uh, if it passed its morale check, which it didn't most of the rest of the game, I was able to activate it, I believe, again, but because I was at a minus to hit, um, that makes, I mean, even a minus one or two, which is why I guess I'm saying cover is so important, um, is a really big deal in tank wars because you really aren't throwing that weight of dice that you would be throwing if you had a squad of guys with submachine guns or even a squad of riflemen where you're throwing eight dice or ten dice. Um, you're throwing one dice. And when you miss, it can feel bad. Um, I know that in my game against Ange, I fired, I think, six or seven AT, you know, heavy or super heavy AT gun shots at his King Tiger. And I rolled a one or a two on all of those. And I I just couldn't hit the damn thing, but I was rolling one dice. And, you know, at the end I was jumping up and down and swearing and throwing things, you know, in a fun way, but did 
start to feel a little ridiculous after a while. But if if you can really mitigate the, your opponent's chances, if you force them a fail or just reduce their chances of hitting you, that's a really big deal. And you can do that through cover or, as Lee said, with additional pins. Uh, it doesn't matter if you destroy their tank, if you put enough pins on them to make it not effective a turn or two. It really does yeah. add up. All right, gentlemen. With I know that we stacked the deck a little bit as far as having a mission that required infantry. So if you wanted to win a third of your games, you, you had to have infantry. Let's talk a little bit about would you recommend infantry in a Tank Wars game? Let me start with this. I like infantry in a Tank Wars game. Part of me is I really like infantry in general. I mean, Bolt Action is an infantry-based game. Um, I think the infantry works really well with the rules. And I like rolling dice. So for me, having a couple rifleman squads, even if objectives aren't a huge deal, um, are great because you can get behind cover more effectively than armored vehicles. You can go down, you can hide if you are trying to grab an objective. Or if your opponent has open-top vehicles, uh, you can throw pins out at them. I, I really like it. I guess the question is how much you want to invest in infantry. I'm not 100%. I was walking in thinking I want to maximize infantry in every single game of Tank Wars ever. Uh, but walking out of the event, and I have played in a few Tank Wars events before, I think it's because I played Lee's list in the last game. I didn't miss infantry a lot in that game. Lee, what are your thoughts? I think infantry at the end of the day are an integral part of bolt action. Like, it's a infantry platoon-based game. The idea of a lieutenant with you know three squads is really the crux of it. Um, I think the tank wars variant gives you that chance to just run more vehicles. Um, I, I think it comes down to mission balance. If you're going to have a, a mix like we did on the weekend, infantry play a part. I think if you want to just run very heavy, just pure tanks, go play flames of war or something and just run 10 companies through that gives you your armored side of things or go play micro armor or there's there's quite a lot of um, games out there for that sort of thing if that's where you want to travel um, what a tanker yeah yeah what a tanker i mean there's quite a few um but i, I think it's it's an important balance i mean my five dice list i run and there's a british list it was two regular um, Sherman V's, a Firefly, a Comet, and a Locust, because that's what fit into the points. I declined to take the free artillery observer because I would have had to have given him transport, mm -hmm. and that meant no Locust. And then I was mulling over for quite a while. I think it was a good half hour, you and I, or you sat there listening to me muttering about <laughs> yes. points adjustments, trying to work out how many Jeeps to put in and what I could fit and everything. And in the end, I just said, uh, I'll just take the locust instead. Yeah. Um, Cause effectively you can hide the locust behind a small child. Um, <laughs> Leave but... Angus Hitler youth out of this. <laughs> yeah. Well, <laughs> they would, uh, a squad of them would certainly give it cover. Yes. Um, the, so, so to me, I think if you're going to be purest tank wars, I think you can get away without infantry. If, if, your local meta or the event or whatever sort of structure you're playing in is very heavily based on that. And I think something like if you were to do, say, a, um, 
market garden style event and you wanted to do 30th core running up the highway trying to get to the bridges you know that is literally um uh you know a tank column an armored vehicle column it is but at the same time they had troops with them in transports so it wasn't just a purely vehicle based thing um i suppose the whitman if you think about the tigers you know defending the the village or attacking the village you know that was purely tanks bunch of tigers uh, confession time, I have six Flames of War Tigers from the Whitman box uh, mm-hmm. that I used purely as a Tiger Force in uh, Flames of War. Uh, so, you know, it, it's quite mixed in what you can do. I think taking some infantry, because there's always a capacity for them to do something, can take them with tank hunters or, or make them tank riders and give them SMGs and hunt down those open-topped vehicles and just put pins on them or hunt down those soft skins you know there's going to be trucks or there's going to be somebody with something that's um able to be damaged i mean the downside is you rock up and you know you cop my five dice list which is all armor the smallest armor is eight most of it's nine ten on the front for the comet mm-hmm. uh you know you infantry are going to do bupkis unless you can actually close in and get an assault off but uh you get close enough i'm just going to switch to machine guns and try and thin you down so yeah it's a time and a place i think it's up to each person's individual flavor and you know not everyone's got you know a dozen tanks sitting in the cupboard for them taking inventory and some transports is probably more in line with their regular listing yeah exactly right um dave what do you think oh look you're probably right i i I think to a certain extent um infantry are wasted in tank wars i think but you're right bold action without them is also kind of pointless and and by the time they've got some at guns or some or or, or the open top conversation we had earlier sorry anti-tank grenades or the open top conversation we had before they, there's still stuff they can do and um yeah, and to pop up or dig in on an objective or something they can they can cause trouble yeah so i think yeah bring them along yeah. Guys, I, I do feel like perhaps we are beating this topic into the dirt. Um, so why don't we move on? Lee, I have to say a giant thank you for running the event on the day. Uh, it was really helpful to, uh, to, to be able to show up and set up terrain and answer some questions and not actually be the TO. So thank you so much for taking on that responsibility. Uh, I know that it, it meant that you didn't get to play, and I know you also didn't get to play at the Hampton Day. So thank you very much for your time, man. It is appreciated. Uh, you are definitely not TOing the next event. It is all you playing the whole time, buddy. Yeah, no worries. Uh, happy to run events. That's everyone a, a chance to play. Uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to throwing some dice myself at the next event. I think uh, we'll, I've almost finished painting my buffaloes, which we've been talking about for a good two plus years now. Yes. <laughs> I think uh, I've just, yeah, a lot of other hobby projects have just uh, taken priority over bolt action uh, recently, but they're uh, close enough. Might uh, motivate me to finish them off get them done yeah well let's talk about something that you can paint those 
four. Now, on May 1st, we are going to be holding the next sort of open bolt-action afternoon in Melbourne. Uh, we are going to be getting together at the Hampton Games Club, and I'm going to be posting that on the Cast Dice page in the next couple of days. Um, we have confirmed it. If you would like to come along, uh, just uh, let us know so we can RSVP, because there are number restrictions for the club, uh, but we should be pl have plenty of room, uh, and we're hoping to get the Melbourne community uh, sort of back to playing bolt action again and back to having a good time and rolling dice and doing what we do. Um, I also want to take a quick sec to say thank you to War and Peace Games. Now, uh, we didn't ask them for prize support for this event. You know, we, we weren't sure how many players were actually going to show up, it being such a long time since the last time we had an event. But we did have a big pile of prizes. We have sort of a rolling prize pool from previous events that we roll to the next event. Um, and we make sure that, you know, everyone gets a prize, ideally, and usually there's tons left over. Uh, and so we, we roll those to the next event, and then we get contributions and um, from sponsors. And I just want to take a second to thank War and Peace Games, the Australian distributor of all great Warlord games, particularly Bolt Action, because looking at the prize pool on the day, I realized that almost everything there came from War and Peace Games. They, again, they donated everything for prizes, uh, for events that we've held in the past. And again, through their support, we were able to give prizes out at this event this time. Uh, and they're who I bought all of my beautiful Battlefield in a Box terrain from. Really recommend them, guys. Especially with COVID shipping. I literally got a pile of infantry models in the mail today that I ordered at Christmas time or just after Christmas, um, and I got in the mail from the U.S. today. Um, shipping overseas is ugly at the moment. If you're in Australia and New Zealand, War and Peace Games, they're local. They have what you want usually, and if they can't, they can get it. And they're really nice, so give them a call. Talk to them. Um, but Dave and Lee, thank you so much for joining us today to talk about Tank Wars and the event, and I'm looking forward to rolling dice and having a good time playing both of you soon. Yeah, bring it on. Yes. Four Hetzers, eh, Dave? Yeah, yep. I have to put an order in for um, the War and Peace to get me some more Hetzers. <laughs> yeah, well, it was a nice thing because I got two Simulventes, as I said, 74, 75-18s from War and Peace three days after I ordered them. Compare that to the however months it's been since Christmas. Uh, it, yeah, I'm. I know who I'm ordering from. <laughs> But, uh, yeah, we're there. Guys, um, thank you so much for joining us uh, for this episode of the Ghost Army Podcast. Uh, we Yes, it was a little long. Yes, it was a little rambly. We are getting our sea legs back. We uh, will be tightening up content. We will be getting into more um, history-based uh, listing and more great bolt-action content for you coming up shortly. Um, if you have any questions or you have any feedback about this episode, you can reach me through the Cast Dice Podcast Network Facebook page. If you go to, if you just type Cast Dice into Facebook, C A S T D I C E, uh, and you message the page, you're guaranteed to get a response from me. Hi, my name is Brad. Um, just please remember that I am in Australia. And so, though I do guarantee a response, sometimes I'm asleep. So uh, I know a couple of people have messaged and said, oh, it took you a long time to reply. I'm sorry. 
Um, I am on the other side of the planet. and Time zones are a thing. Uh, but anyway, guys, thank you so much for joining us. And we will be back with more great Bolt Action content for you soon. Stay safe out there, guys. Good night.
That's the ghost army. 